0: Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, I speak with Associate Professor of Creative Writing and Poet Gabby Calvacaresi. In our conversation, Professor Calvacaresi discusses the creative process in quarantine and the things that inspire her own work. At the end of the interview, she reads the poem, Hammond B3 Organ Cistern first published in The New Yorker in 2018. So, Gabby, thank you for um, joining me today, uh, virtually, but uh, to start off, can you talk a little bit about uh, your role at UNC and, uh,
1: and, yeah,
0: what you do, what you do as a, a professor in the English department?
1: Yeah. Well, hi, Philip. Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm from Durham, North Carolina, um, in my office. Um, I am uh, an associate professor and Walker Percy fellow uh, in the English department. And I'm, I'm specifically in the creative writing department. And I'm a poet, which is, I never get over still the ability to say like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a poet. That's what I do. And I'm, paid by the university to do that and to teach poetry i mean it's just like if you had said this to the little kid who lived in like this rural town who spent a significant amount of time like eating their lunch like in the girl's bathroom that they would like things would turn out this way i never would (laughs) have it would have been impossible for me to believe so i um I still say with a great deal of gratitude and surprise. uh, I teach uh, here at UNC and um, I teach workshops. I teach poetry workshops. Um, I teach uh, and that's all levels. Uh, We have a really wonderful and very serious uh, undergraduate creative writing program. We're really lucky at UNC to, to not have an MFA program. And so all of the attention of the faculty and all of our visitors' attention goes to the undergrads. And because of that, we just have like this amazing uh, department. So uh, I teach all levels of workshop. Um, next year, for instance, I'll teach the thesis workshop, which is this really cool year-long class the seniors take. They have to apply to get into it. And we essentially like work on a manuscript together over the course of the year. Wow. Um, And then I also at the university, um, I'm the poetry editor for Southern Cultures, which uh, I just love and um, getting to do anything with the folks at the Center for the Study of the American South is great. Um, And I also am a faculty advisor for the Wordsmiths and like to have any kind of adventure that I get to be asked to do. So I've been able to talk in other classes and things like that. Um, It never stops surprising me just like how many things I get to do at UNC that I love to do and that really speak to um, my intellectual and creative interests. And so then that's what I do at UNC. And then I also spend a lot of time, as many of the faculty do at a Research One school, uh, out in the world representing UNC by giving readings and giving talks and things like that.
0: Great. Uh, So just to talk a little bit about a, I guess, an origin story, what drew you to poetry in the first place and develop that, develop your future career as a poet?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably not so different than um, the story a lot of people have when it comes to coming to the arts or maybe just like coming to the thing that allows them to use their voice. I grew up, uh, I grew up with my grandparents for a good deal of my life and that was because my mom suffered from very severe mental illness and she took her life when I was 13. And I had always been a kid who was kind of solitary. Um, I lived out way out in the country. Um, I had a visual disability that meant that I didn't like do a lot of walking for a long time. Uh, Balanced disability. Okay. and. Um, so I was a kid who just like daydreamed professionally from the minute I was like born basically. And yeah. I also like, I think a lot of people, I, I had this thing going on in my family with my mother's mental illness that like, and then with her suicide that um was so huge and nobody ever talked about, like, it was just a giant kind of silence. I always say like, I'm a lesbian. And so there was one kind of closet I came out yeah. of. But I think the closet of suicide and of mental illness was a closet that took me much longer to figure out like how mm-hmm. to, open that door. And I think many people have that, uh, particularly right now. I think it's a very difficult right. one for people. Um, anyway, so I, after my mom died and people, you know, I went, I went to school the next day, like nobody talked about it. Um, wow. I started writing in a journal and I, you know, wrote, and I think that I didn't, like, it wasn't until I went to summer camp uh, like a year later and I had, I showed my thing, my my journal to a counselor and the counselor said, oh, you're writing poems. Um, and that I think felt, very important to me. Like I was like, oh, poems. Well, that sounds very, you know, ooh, I'm a yeah. poet. And so at first, like it was sort of like this idea, this kid's idea of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could put a name to this thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um and but then I I did begin to get to I started to read books. I I um I worked at a at a bookstore when I was 16 and I oh, wow. basically That's had them great. pay me in books. And I, this, I'm thinking about it a lot this week because this week, um, my mentor, the great poet, Ivan Boland passed away and, uh, hers before long decades before I knew her, hers was one of the first books I like pulled down from the shelf one day when I was working. And so, you know, I had a summer job and I started reading poems and then I started to think like, oh, that thing that that counselor said, I, I could be. I think I actually really want to do this. And then I was lucky, like students at UNC, to go to um, a college that had a very good creative writing program and then just kind of, once I, it began in my imagination and then it it became something that I could attach certain goals to. Um, So I think like many artistic careers that are very luckily successful, um, I was able pretty early on to have both, a, a fantastical um and a pragmatic um set of goals
0: yeah yeah that um i just blanked sorry <laughs> um, i'll edit that out. pandemic yeah i know um i feel like i'm in a fog most of the time mm-hmm. Just. Um,
1: but it's a real thing
0: yeah yeah because i first i mean like because i do i do some I, I, just as a side note, I'm not going to include this, just, I'm just thinking out loud.
1: But you could, this would be interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, so right when we when we came out, I was like, you know what, we'll have time. I'll have time and I'll like, I'll get back to playing more music because I don't do that as much anymore. And I might start writing some more. I've been wanting to write things um, mm-hmm. and it's hard to want to do it. Yeah. And- do you find, do you find that right now you're, do you find a, um, any effect on your output or your inspiration or what? Might- oh my
1: gosh, it's, I mean, I really do think you should include this part because I yeah. think that, I mean, like yesterday, I, they're never going to publish it. They're going to be so frustrated. Poets and writers, this magazine wrote to me and they were like, talk to us, you know, will you write us a few paragraphs about all of the new artistic things you're doing and like how this is affecting your artistic practice. And I just, I have to say, I really hate that message because I just think I, I, and so I ended up writing this three paragraph thing about all the administrative work I have to do. And like, and you know what I mean? Like, like, (laughs) you know, because first of all, it turns out that the zoom era, like who knew, like zoom loves administrative work, you know, like the the gods of zoom are like, this is a perfect vessel for this. But the other thing is, I just think artistically, if, if something is happening right now that is useful, for me, it's that I never thought of poems as something that just live on the page. And that I always thought of poems as something, like some of them end up on the page and some of them just like happen to me. And like, and so I will say that, you know, I go for walks and I I see things and I like an ice, we have an ice cream truck in our neighborhood. It's actually an ice yeah. cream SUV, but like, who knew? You know, like those kinds of things feed me and like maybe someday they'll end up in a poem, but mm-hmm. they, they also like might not. And on one hand, I think, and I say this to my students, like if it gets you through and it helps you to think like, I should write a book of poems this summer, or I should write a symphony, or I should do any number of creative projects, then great. But it's also true that like, this might be a really great time to not be productive in the way that we think about productivity. Like it yeah. might be a really good time just to like sit and listen and maybe take notes. And, and if a poem comes to me, like great. But if it doesn't, like we are really in the business of trying to be alive right now. And, yeah. and I think that the other thing is that I do think there's a way in which I do feel like anything that makes you feel bad about yourself right now is, is within reason, like maybe there's some things that really should make you feel bad about yourself, but like not writing a book of poems Like that is not to feel bad about oneself right now. And so, um, you know, it's may day today. There are lots of reasons for us to feel bad as a society Mm -hmm. about ourselves. But, um, so I guess that's a long answer, but I, I do, I think it's hard. Um, I think it's hard to not feel like we should all be writing You know, there's that terrible Shakespeare quote and it's like, well, but Shakespeare also wasn't like raising three kids and educating them at their home. And like, I also do think that things will come out of it. Like, I think the fact that so many people are gardening right now is just as good as, like, writing a book of poems. My dear friend, um, the poet C. Dale Young, is also Mm -hmm. the head of the med team at UCSF. And so he's just, like, seen things over the last months that are astonishing. I mean, it's just astonishing. And every day he finds time to go on Facebook and basically tell all of us from a doctor's perspective um, to be gentle with ourselves. Yeah. And that like the best thing we can do for ourselves right now is wash our hands and be good to ourselves. (laughs) Like, that's like, that's all we can do right now. And if we're not someone who needs to be like in a hospital working or out in the world, like doing various kinds of work, if we have the privilege of getting to stay home, we should stay home and be kind to ourselves. And I think that has been so grounding and extraordinary, you know, and I think it's true.
0: I have a question that uh, came to me while you were mentioning um, editing the, uh, for Southern Cultures and also you were talking about the senior course that they have to apply for. So I'm just curious when you are reading someone else's work and even editing it or evaluating it in some, uh, some capacity with regards to poetry, what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I was someone who was very lucky to have super rigorous um, teachers who had no investment in me sounding like them, mm. um, which is fairly rare, I would say, in yeah. creative writing. People yeah. people love to be kingmakers and people love to have people sound like them. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be useful. You can sort of track schools of people that way. But but because of that, my teachers were Lucy burke how, she's also passed away which is crazy Ivan um, Richard Howard Mark Doty um, Michael klein among others um, anyhow they all were very good at being able to like look at a poem and hear the voice of the poet like really hear that person's voice mm-hmm. and 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 genuinely hear it in a way that maybe you didn't hear it yet but like it it was yours like but And I think that they taught me, there are plenty of things I don't do well, but I think that something I do very well is I can sit with a poem um, and I can, um, through all of the chatter and the traffic and the various, I don't really love the word mistakes, but like whatever, you know, um, all of the things that happen in a poem that aren't going to stay in a poem forever. um, I can pretty clearly start to hear where that poet's priorities, voice, and idiosyncrasies um, are are beginning to coalesce in a way that like makes the poem. And that to me is a great pleasure. Uh, So when I'm editing, whether it's for Southern cultures or for a long time, I was a senior poetry editor at Los Angeles Review of Books um, for critical stuff. um, And certainly when I'm working with poet, young poets, that's really what I'm trying to do is to kind of hear them and then figure out, like how do I help them clear things out or add things that help them like get to that, that, that part of their voice that doesn't sound like anybody else. Um, and I would say that the other thing I do, and very often like for the first like six weeks of class, can, this can make students very uncomfortable and not particularly pleased with me, is um, I do not line at it heavily like for the beginning of the whole beginning of the term. And um, that is like most poetry teachers line at it very heavily. I kind of- yeah. can
0: you just explain real quickly? Well, what
1: line means. editing is like, I go into your poem, Yeah. like a mechanic, because I'm a mm-hmm. good mechanic. Yeah. I'm a master mechanic. And I um, cross out things and I, I mark things and I make comments and I say like, this is how you make the poem better. And then they go home and they do exactly what I said. Yeah. And I can make a poem sound better like that. Like right. it's, it's, it's not something I'm bragging about. It's just like, I've been trained to do that. I spend yes. a lot of yeah. money. On, I'll spend my student loans forever. Right. <laughs> yeah. to do that. Um, and there's real value in that. Right. But I don't, I think students get a lot of that. And I think, so what I like to do is for the first six weeks, we talk, we read the poems together. They come to office hours one-on-one and we work really deeply, but I also like let them make their mistakes for a while and let them sort of figure it out themselves. And that's, because the uncertainty is something I think that is really important in all things to be able to like become comfortable with that. Um, and so when I'm editing and when I'm really like when I'm editing in the thesis class, I think in some ways, my biggest job is to build a space for students where they actually are free to feel very uncomfortable, very uncertain. Yeah make mistakes and then figure them out with me like there the whole time, but figure out like, how do I, how do I fix that? Not just in this poem, but like in a larger way, what does this say about my poetics? Um, And then we go in together and I'm like, okay, like, this is what I would do. Like, this is how I would do it. Like, here's an example. Mm
0: -hmm. But, um,
1: so I think that that's, that's what a class and that's what editorial works like, you know, is like for me is like, listening for their voice, and then holding space for them to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and such and,
0: a yeah. Fine, as opposed, I mean, a, prose is the same way, but with poetry it's so, it feels so like personal and intimate. It's hard, I, I guess for one thing, it's really hard to release that to someone else, and then two, it would be hard to give feedback on something that's so personal to someone else when you're not, you're not inside their head, you're not them, but it is, yeah, and it's, more of an exploratory uh, editing, I suppose, or self-exploration. True.
1: And it's also like anything, like if you teach someone to like really read well, if you mm-hmm. teach someone to read rigorously, like other poems and other poets, they start to like have an understanding of how to, you know, like build the table themselves. And so, um, and the other thing that is, I think, I don't know if fiction is like this, but I do think this is true of poetry is that, um, it's actually not hard to make a poem that's not very good sound great it I mean like you'll you'll probably get calls about this and maybe they'll be from like poets in our department I don't know but like I can without much difficulty (laughs) take a student's poem that's not very good and I could edit it in such a way that it would sound pretty much like it could be in a magazine yeah um if you push into a little bit it would be a paper mache bird and there'd be nothing inside of it
0: right right
1: but I can, like, once you just, like, learn how to do a certain thing, like, you can do that. You can build a car that, like, probably looks like a really good car, but then you take it, like, 10 miles down the road, and it falls apart. Um, right. So one of the things, like, that I want. Like one those,
0: it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's wonderful, and then you think yeah. about it for five minutes, and you're like, wait, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs>
1: right, and so what I would like to teach them how to do is, um, I don't want to teach them first how to make a poem that, like, sounds like a Maserati like like looks like a Maserati when really like it's a Ford Pinto you know I'd rather like build it from the ground up that's great thank you thank you for that
0: in your creative process what types of input do you like to take in or does it just depend on what's going on around you or is there like certain readings you like to do or is there
1: if I'm like really working on a book of poems like I'm kind of working on something um in my brain right now I spend a lot of time working on stuff in my brain before Mm -hmm. I on paper i like to read like super big novels like big complicated um i'm reading Hilary mantel's the mirror and the light right now which is the third book in her wolf hall trilogy and it's just like it's unbelievable i like books with lots of characters lots of complexity um I also really like to be, ta- if I'm working on stuff, I like to be reading things and listening to things that I get really lost in. I mean, yeah. I like long form jazz and mm-hmm. classical music. And I um I really love full like albums um, to listen to. You're immersing yourself. Yeah, I like to immerse myself. And so I-, I often say like, I grew up with a family that owned drive-in movie theaters and second run movie theaters. And so oh, yeah. um I just am like obsessed with, the cinematic experience in almost everything and to me that is you go in a dark room or it's dark out and you you're putting your little pajamas on the you know Mm -hmm. on the on the car and um on the hood of the car and you just like look at this thing and then you're just inside it and um that's what i like to create in poems and and so when i'm writing poems i like to be reading and looking at things i also do things like um If I'm working on a book, I'm always somehow watching vampire things. I never understood it. But like, I will, for anyone listening to this podcast, I assume that most of the people who follow the IH are um, really ardent uh, viewers of the Vampire Diaries. But uh, (laughs) if you aren't, let me suggest it to you. It is like, I mean, that, like, it's great. And so that's also the kind of thing, like, that sort of also a discovery of witches is really worth watching mm, but like okay. that kind of um high drama lyric experience world uh you can get a lot of art out of that
0: oh yeah oh i i, I totally agree um you know what's funny is you saying that about books and stuff right now because i'm just like might as well <laughs> I'm I'm current, I'm like simultaneously reading two just like tomes. One is called A Brief History of Seven Killings. Yes. Marlon James. It's really good. Okay. So I just started that. And then I also am reading this, um, it's called The Beatles, All These Years, Tune In. And it's part one of three. It's a history. It's like this comprehensive history of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. First one, it's like 900 almost 950 pages and it just goes up to them from like birth to um finishing their first album so that's like 1962 before they blow up and it's great it's like it's nuts but it's really well done and and I'm listening to the audiobook so I'm just like on these walks and listening to this like Beatles history so
1: it's so good it's so I mean I would say that right now is like if people can find something to get lost in yeah yeah and also learn something like we do that also like gardener's world monte don and gardener's world is like yeah. one of the greatest things in the world to watch. like that is something i think that's wonderful about like really maybe if i were to say to people you know i would say to people don't feel like you have to write the great american novel right now but it wouldn't be the worst thing to read a great novel
0: like yeah, totally you
1: know like even if it's not your normally your thing mm-hmm. that i think is like Figuring out how to get lost in something um, that can also really teach you something is pretty amazing.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, speaking of which, this is a question we ask most all our guests. What's a book that changed your life?
1: You know what? I am going to pull this down because I just, yeah. Smith college just asked me to do a zoom reading and a Q and a, uh-huh. and they asked me the same thing. And I said this and look, really? Yeah. They you
0: just for like four years and they, they parallel thinking, I think.
1: Yeah. I think, you and, I think we, the I.H. and Smith's Poetry Center actually have a lot in common. So here's what I said, which is um, the book that probably like changed my life in really essential ways is The S- Outsiders S- by Essie sure. e. Hinton. Okay. I'm now holding the, um, the 50th anniversary edition. But, I like um, that.
0: It's got a really cool cover. The. It's got a jacket.
1: really cool cover and like it's just great. And it's, um, look at the back. Stay gold. Stay gold. Um,
0: I might have to pick that up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. We have, I mean, this. We one, really, do you love The Outsiders?
0: Yeah, we like it. Um, my, my wife used to teach it when she was a um, a, an English teacher, and so we have a really beat up and and leaf through uh, the old the paperback. paperback one yeah.
1: with like Tommy with all Howell all and everyone. And, yeah, 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 yeah. No, anyway, I um, or excuse me, see Thomas Howell once he changed his name, but um, I that book first of all because it it really even though i grew grew up in a rural town in connecticut like central connecticut that was not at all like fairfield county and um the the kids described in that book really reminded me a lot of like where i grew up and also um i always say like the gender identity my gender identity was so wrapped up with the boys and the outsiders like i so wanted to look like soda pop Pop curtis who frankly looked like a lesbian so like i i mean i just so that book in that way, but also because of the Robert Frost poem, I I think that's the first, that was the first time that I like really took in a poem, like poems had been read to me before and stuff like that, but that being reading that book and then coming to that poem in the way that I did, like all of a sudden it was there and it was part of the story and it was, um, I think it had such an incredibly profound effect on me as like what a poem could be and what a poem could do. Um, the, I often say, like, I, I think there's a way empathy works in that book, class works in that book. Um, yeah, like, I, I think that probably, like, in the last days, if somebody came up to me, you know, whatever, some angel or something, and was like, you need, in order to get in wherever, you need to tell us, like, what is the book? Be honest, like, what is the book? Yeah. And what is the TV show that really, like, has had the most effect on you? And I would probably have to say, The Outsiders, and either falcon crest or maybe like now the vampire diaries like i would want to say like crime and punishment and (laughs). like (laughs) i don't know some really deep swedish mystery series but Mm -hmm. that would send me straight to hell well
0: thanks for being honest i don't (laughs) want to have to send you to hell i
1: mean we have to in the (laughs) end yeah
0: (laughs) sorry I'm just thinking off the top of my head when you mentioned the poem that you like really read for the first time I think it hit me I think I might have been in college I was taking some class and we like listened to and looked at the lyrics of um hard rain's gonna fall by Bob Dylan yeah that one really just blew my mind because it was like it was like one of those things where you're really drawn into it I wasn't entirely sure what he was talking about at all but there's some like magnetism to it and I think that's what That's one of the things that kind of set me off in studying literature and things like that.
1: I do think like, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this because I love my profession and I think teaching is so important. And I think nothing can approximate the feeling of when you're young and you come across, and young could be in college or whatever, but nothing can approximate the intimacy of that moment when you come across a song or a poem or a story on your own and like fall in love with it. I mean, there's just nothing we, we cannot approximate that. We can teach students and then maybe they find something else, and, but there's nothing, there's nothing like that intimacy in the world mm-hmm. until you like really fall in love with someone. I mean, there's just right. nothing.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time, Gabby.
1: My pleasure. Should I read a poem? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then I'm going to go be, uh, I'm going to go distribute
0: yeah, I don't mean to hold you uh, up too
1: much. No, you're not. But I just want to say in case, I don't know when this is going to get shown or, or put on. Um, you know, anyone who lives in the Durham area who wants to work with Durham Feast, the wonderful Chapel Hill in Durham, Andrea Reusing, um, they need lots of folks to come and help distribute meals to all those kids who, don't, who aren't able to get um, nutrition right now. Right. So I'm going to do that after this and okay. um, just go Durham Feast. Hammond B3 organ cistern. The days I don't want to kill myself are extraordinary. Deep bass. All the people in the streets waiting for their high fives and leaping. I mean leaping when they see me. I am the sun-filled god of love or at least an optimistic undersecretary. There should be a word for it. The days you wake up and do not want to slit your throat. Money in the bank. Enough for an iced green tea every weekday and Saturday and Sunday. It's like being in the armpit of a B3 Hammond organ, just reeks of gratitude and funk, the funk of ages. I am not going to ruin my love's life today. It's like the time I said yes to gray sneakers, but then the salesman said, wait. And there, out of the back room, like the bakery's first biscuits, bright blue kicks, iridescent like a scarab. Oh, who am I kidding? It was nothing like a scarab. It was like bright blue fucking sneakers. I did not want to die that day. Oh my God. Why don't we talk about it? How good it feels. And if you don't know, then you're lucky, but also you poor thing. Bring the band out on the stoop. Let the whole neighborhood hear. Come on, everybody. Say it with me nice and slow. No pills, no cliff, no brains on the floor, bring the bass back, no rope, no hose, not today Satan. Every day I wake up with my good fortune and news of my demise. Don't keep it from me. Why don't we have a name for it? Bring the bass back, bring the band out on the stoop. Hallelujah.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you and um, stay safe and uh, yeah, just stay safe and I'll see you soon in person.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Take care. Bye right, bye. All right. Bye. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at iahunderscoreunc.